Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode of Gagan Preston is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the premier range of men's grooming products. And you can get 20% off all their products now off their website, manscaped.com, by using the code Gagan2021. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm Chris Williams and I'm going to be joined once again by Manuel Vaith for this very special podcast. We're doing a midweek one because, well, unless you've been living in a rock, you won't have heard what's gone on this week. And there was a breakaway of 12 clubs. It was supposed to be 15. We'll get to that. Um, and it didn't happen and it's all collapsed. And there's been a lot of talk in the media, in the UK, in the US and across Europe about 50 plus one. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We've had loads of questions about it, so we're going to try and answer as best we can. But... In order to explain 50 plus one, we should probably talk about where it's came from. So that's why I'm going to bring in Manu now. Uh, Manu, hello. And can you let everybody know where 50 plus one came from, why it existed, and then its sort of slow history from when it came in and where we are now. And then we can chat about if it's applicable to the rest of Europe. Yeah, let's it's start with where it came from because um, 50 plus one was brought in to allow membership clubs to attract investors into German football clubs. And this was in the the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was manifested. It came around the same time that the the Bundesliga, and um, you know, this is is in in a similar vein than what happened with the Premier League, right? It became an independent league, self-run league. And um, unlike the Premier League, though, it's the first two divisions, right, in Germany, the Bundesliga, and as part of the Bundesliga structure, um, the stakeholders, the 36 stakeholders of the two first divisions, decided to bring in an, an economic bring in economic measures that allows them to stay membership-based clubs, right? But also have a an economic mechanism to sell some of the shares to interested investors. Now most clubs have done this. Um, there's a few exceptions. One of them is Schalke, which uh, we talked about a lot this year. Uh, the I, Most clubs have done it in the sort of way that Bayern Munich have done it, right? Which club we're going to talk about a lot today. That they formed a closed joint stock company that runs the football business. And the closed joint stock company sold parts of their shares to investors like Allianz um, is one. Audi is another. Um, there's all sorts of rumors that Bayern have Qatar in, in their pockets. No, they do not. Qatar has no stake at Bayern Munich. I want to clear this up right from the beginning because there, there was a lot of things that were perpetrated um, in the last few days that that's the case. It's not true. Um, and essentially what happens then, the the, the closed joint stock company has a board, right? And the members of the board are partly selected from the stakeholders. So Allianz has a member of the board, right? Audi has someone. Uh, But the majority of the members of the board are selected by the members, 
and they vote a president who also sits on the board and um, they ensure that like the majority of the board members are representatives of the membership club which lies at the foundation of the very of the football of the football operations um that's it in a nutshell right it's it's essentially a mechanism to ensure that the members are still in control of the football clubs and this was brought in wasn't it because prior to this they were in essentially not-for-profit organizations and they needed to attract investors in but the club still or the league or the DFL wanted the club still to be owned by its membership, which is in essence its fans. And there's 50% of the shares plus one, which is how we get 50 plus one. And there can be no more than 49% in a controlling hand. So the, the members and Borussia Dortmund's got hundreds of thousands, or I think it's about 140,000 members, they control the 50 plus one. Whereas uh, a club like Leipzig, people have asked us already, they've got very small, I think it's 16, isn't it, Manu? And they all happen to work for Red Bull, which is why um, people accuse them of circumventing 50 plus one. Yeah, that's exactly it. And Leipzig is a great example, right? They're circumnavigating it. Uh, There is certain exceptions. Um, If you have been an investor for more than 20 years, and have paid significant dividends into the club, then you can take over a majority share, right? That's the case at Hoffenheim. And then there's two other examples, and that's Volkswagen's VfL Wolfsburg, VfL Wolfsburg, right? That were founded as a company a company team. And Leverkusen is another one, right? Also founded as a company team. So those two cases, um, they're still membership clubs, just like all the other ones, but... The controlling stakes are with the respective companies that have have founded the clubs, right? So those are two exceptions. Um, you will find also exceptions like Hertha, where they have sold the majority of the stake of the football operations to an outside investor, but the board is still 50 plus one representative. So the voting stakes are still 50 plus one, right? So it, even though someone owns the majority stakes of the club, they still don't have all the decision-making power. The decision still is with the members. So that is probably something that the clubs around Europe, especially what the English clubs are looking at now, maybe revamping their structure, that's possibly something they could look at. Me personally, I think if I own a club and it's worth 2 to $3 billion, I'm not giving up 50 plus one of the voting rights. That's going to have to be legislation, I think. But let's just have a look now about why Bayern and Dortmund decided they didn't want to do it. I mean, it's pretty simple. It was such an awful plan. It looks like it's been written on the back of a cigarette packet. Um, the website's terrible. It looks like they've taken the branding from part of the Champions League branding with the bright um, pink and blue neon colours. So apart from it looking an absolute mess, there are some key reasons why Dortmund and Bayern said no, aren't there? There's been a lot of whataboutism from football fans that supported the the Super League, and um, rightfully maybe so because like Romanege has for many many years um, always always speculated or that a Super League could happen, right? Um, I think what's really important here to point out, Romanege has said many times a Super League is a potential possibility, but for him it was always more of a of a threat towards UEFA saying like, look, if we don't reform UEFA, if we don't bring changes to UEFA, this could happen, right? This is something that could happen. The reality always was, and 
this is why may, I think a lot of German commentators always kind of shrugged it off, is that it is very difficult for German clubs to actually do this because they are membership controlled. I mean, one of the reasons why uh, Bayern and Dortmund weren't right away invited, uh, quote unquote, I mean, we, we, you and I, Chris, know that they were at the meetings, they knew very much what was happening, but why they were not not part of the initial announcement is because it would have leaked very quickly. And also Bayern and Dortmund would have had to call AGs. They would have called, had to call general meetings and they would have had to consult the members. And the members would have said no because German fans, and we've seen this uh, many, many times, are very conservative. Um, they are very much clinging onto tradition. Sometimes that's bad. In this case, I think it's good. And they would have just struck this thing down and um, it would have leaked probably too early too because members are also very much involved in, in club proceedings in Germany. I think it just, um, they knew it wouldn't happen. But also, as you said, I mean, this looks like something that was written on the back of a cigarette package. It was very, very well, badly constructed. And I think when Rummenigge and Watzke kind of, probably laughing a little bit to himself, said like, no, we're not having anything to do with this. I, I thought right away this thing is dead. Yeah, and I think we can see that from that Super um, super League co-documents that Der Spiegel got hold of, where it said that um, Bayern and Dortmund had 30 days to respond to the invitation. Um, and I think PSG had 14 or 15. Now, I think we know the 30 days is there because they would have had to call a meeting, put it to a vote, maybe put it to a re-vote, um, I think that's where these Super League clubs and I think it was predominantly the Spanish. So Real Madrid for certain, uh, Juventus. And I think we can safely say it's the it was a three-backed, American-backed um, English club. So Liverpool, Arsenal um, and Manchester United were the key drivers. I think those five were the key drivers. Manchester City and Chelsea, we've spoken off-air on this. It's been all over the papers as well. They're rich. They're, they are nouveau riche. They are new rich clubs. They don't need um, the money, to be honest. They don't, they're not in so much debt like Real Madrid are and Barcelona especially. So, I mean, they pulled out quite quickly when, when they saw how poor it was. Um, whether there's ramifications at those clubs, whether um, people lose their jobs um, below Abramovich, etc. I know Woodward's already gone from Manchester United with his spin on that. He left because of the Super League. I don't believe that for a minute. But... Um, these clubs were the driving forces. And, and I think Bayern and Dortmund probably just looked at it and was like, well, this is a complete mess. Um, and also, why why are you going to do this? Because we're going to get the Champions League reforms that we want. They, they're going to come through on Monday morning. Why are you going to break away now? Yeah, and I think it's also, there was a lot of, I like the descriptions of snakes in the grass, right? And um, Agnelli and... I didn't notice until all of this broke. Um, he's he's the godfather to one of uh, Alexander Severin's kids, the the president of UEFA, and didn't take the calls anymore. And Agnelli, Agnelli was one of the biggest driving forces behind these this Champions League reform, a Champions League reform that's been heavily criticized in Germany and also by the German clubs, but was partly put through to appease the likes of Juventus, Real Madrid and Liverpool and Manchester United with their American owners. And to for them to box through this really poorly put together Champions League model with the, the Swiss model, right? Where it's I think it's two groups. They each play. They play a few games um, 
between each other and then it's like the top eight of each group um, advance it's it's not a great look um, and four four spots to teams given that um, not even on merit I, I actually hope that they revisit a lot of these things because it was put through by the very teams that pushed then the Super League through and I mean that's a stab in the back in in so many ways to have worked on this Champions League reform and have calls with the stakeholders of the Champions League reform until Saturday. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, they're not longer taking the calls. I mean, this is soap opera, Chris. This isn't this is the sort of things that you see in like business crime movies, you know, where all of a sudden they pull the plug on something. It's just I mean, the the entire thing of it, um, it's just so mind-boggling and then was so badly put together. Um, it's, I hope that it actually leads to some very meaningful reform within the Champions League as well because it seems like there has been a lot of reshuffling of power when it comes to Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich are certainly going to have a lot more to say going forward being not part of this uh, insanely put-together plan. And maybe like maybe this is a, this is a good starting point to say, okay, look, this is a good. This is maybe a good thing because we can maybe shake up a few things. Yeah, for me, definitely. I think the Champions League reform model needs to be relooked at because, as you say, it was brought in um, for these very teams who who then wanted to break away. So, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the Champions League being for champions. It'll never happen because I think then the Europa League would be a stronger competition. Um, with you know, imagine you take Bayern and Manchester City and PSG and and you put them in their own Champions League and then you take the teams from second to fourth and put them in the Europa League that would be a phenomenally good league to watch you could argue it would be as equally as good as the Champions League would be and that's why I don't think it, it would happen again but for me I would like to see these reforms taken off the table and these teams that tried to break away who were guaranteed a slot under the Swiss model be told actually doesn't matter what your coefficiency is those slots that were guaranteed to you we're now actually going to give them to Scotland or we're going to give them to um, the Netherlands so I still don't understand everyone will know I'm a Liverpool fan and I've been to you know a couple of Champions League finals I've been um, to Champions League semi-finals for the Football Grad Network and it and it's brilliant but Liverpool get through to the group stage Celtic Ajax they have to start in the qualifying stages, I don't think that's fair. They're champions of their own country. So I would like to see that model revisited. But you're quite right. The balance, the balance of powers now shifting because um, these key positions in the um, European Club Association have now gone to PSG and they'll go to, to sides like Bayern and to the, the people on Bayern's board when they come up for renegotiation again. And, and the English sides and the Spanish and the Italian sides that split all resigned at the same time um, with a letter, I believe, or an email. Um, didn't even have the, the balls to, to say it in, the, in a face-up meeting. They just didn't tip up to that Zoom meeting, which I think Edin van der Sar chaired. Um, it was all very strange. And yeah, you're quite right. Snakes in the grass, I, th- I think it was. But I mean, we have to talk about how quickly it went. I personally, Manu, th- think that Juventus, Real Madrid and the three American-owned Premier League clubs probably got Chelsea and Man City on board and Atletico Madrid on board by saying, uh, come in, it's going to be good, it's going to be full of money. They were like, okay, yeah, no worries. 
and everybody assumed that PSG and Bayern and Dortmund would join. And there's the 15. And then we can invite the other five in. I don't know how they thought that was going to happen because that five would then have to leave UEFA competition for one season to play in this guest league and then hope that UEFA would be all right with it the next season when they weren't invited and go back into Champions League. It's all a little bit weird. This is why I think it's been really poorly organised. Um, it, it just collapsed in a matter of hours. I mean, from when the Chelsea supporters decided they weren't going to let the bus in, Chelsea pulled out, then Manchester City, then I think we had an hour and all the Liverpool players came out and said no, as did some of the Manchester United players. And then the the English clubs all pull out. Um, it went down like a house of cards. I mean, it probably went down even faster than a house of cards. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, I, I remember when the story first broke and, and you notice I'm an avid cyclist and I, I go for these very long bike rides and I was like, I saw it break and I'm like, yeah, whatever. This is just like another one of those things where they're going to threaten it and, you know, the vote is tomorrow and nothing is going to happen. And then uh, as fate would have it, Chris, my tire exploded and I had to stop my ride halfway through. And I looked at my phone and there was a hundred messages and uh, statements flying left, right and sen- the center and UEFA issuing a statement, the club's issuing a statement. I was like, oh boy, I better get home to work again. Um, I guess this is this is my Sunday gone. And then I think I didn't really get off the computer until Tuesday. And um, just to give you an idea how quickly this went. But it was so, so poorly put together that... I think some clubs laughed about it. And I think this, the fact that Bayern Munich basically gave this a hard look and said, absolutely not, we're not doing this. And I think they were quite, they, they issued not just one major statement on this, Chris, they issued two. That's how clear they were about it, right? Borussia Dortmund, and we have to mention this, um, they didn't quite issue quite a strong of a statement because as an open joint stock company, they cannot just go and outright reject something like this because they had an operation loss of about 70 million euros, which means that they have to look at least at a proposal like this because it, it guarantees some financial income, right, that they otherwise wouldn't have. But even they, as 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 clear as you can be as a joint, an open joint stock company, were quite clear about it, um, saying that this is not for us. And I kind of felt that, when Bayern really put their foot down, I said, there is no way. There is no way this is going to work because if they don't believe this is a feasible plan, and I think this is really where Bayern are very different than any of the other major clubs in European football because, like, yes, the members have a large say in the operations of the club, but when you also look at the people who are sitting on the board, they are a people from business you know they're like they're former politicians but they're also the the state like the major stakeholders in companies like Allianz and Audi right Uh, Audi a major car maker Allianz the world's largest insurance company and former football people you know Karl-Heinz Rummenigge he's a former football player Oli Hoeneß a former football player Oliver Kahn was coming in a former football player Hasan Salihamidzic we have criticized him quite a bit but he's a former football player these people make football decisions and they very quickly realized that this was not going to be good for football and it is not going to work and i think when when they came out so clearly and saying like no this is a not feasible and 
B, not in our interest, I thought there's no way this is going to go through. I think that's it because although it was never branded as a European Super League, it was going to be a European Super League. It was branded as the Super League. Um, But once you don't get a German side or get the German sides on board and you don't get the French sides on board, it almost becomes an Anglo-Italian-Spanish league and (laughs) nobody wants to watch that. They want to watch the very best clubs in Europe. And if you don't have three or four of the very best clubs in Europe, then all of a sudden people won't want to watch it. Sponsors won't want to buy into it. Broadcasters won't want to buy into it, no matter who's bankrolling it. Um, And I think that's where it all fell apart. When these big clubs like Bayern and Dortmund said no, and when PSG said no, there was no future for them. But this now brings us round to everybody saying, well, 50 plus one, 50 plus one, 50 plus one. I mean, as everyone will know, I'm in England. That's all I'm hearing today. Let's make all the, the English clubs 50 plus one. And people are asking how and how is that going to work and what uh, what's it led to in Germany? So my question to you is, has 50 plus one worked in Germany? Because if you're outside looking in, Bayern are about to win their ninth title on the run. And many people will go, well, that's not very competitive. But I suppose if you take Bayern out the picture and they're very competitive because they've been so successful in Europe and in Germany, and that's where they've got all their money from, the Champions League and sound investments. If you take them out of it, you know, the the fight for the the Bundesliga is probably the closest in Europe. So does 50 plus one work? And can you see it working in other countries like England, like Italy, like Spain, or is it a very German proposition because of German values and the way Germans look at community and business? I think 50 plus one worked here and it did not just work for the Germans. It worked for everyone around Europe because make no mistake, the German team sign on this for the Super League. It happens because that's Europe's largest economic market. The end, you know, they sign on, it's, it's going through. They don't sign on, all of a sudden you have TV deals and all that sort of stuff that's missing from Europe's largest economic market. So it worked there because it was it, it's a fail-safe. It basically guarantees that the fans have a say. The fans don't have to go, well, they do it anyways, but they don't have to do what the Chelsea fans did, right? Because they can just essentially they have a voice and it doesn't even have to come to that because the club bosses know that they have to face the music. So it worked in this case. I think 50 plus one is a very good model because of this. Um, It's also a very conservative model in a lot of ways that it can stifle and slow down investment. Um, It can mean that clubs make very conservative decisions and it doesn't always lead to the right decisions either. You look at Schalke, for example, who are a completely still membership nonprofit organization on paper, right? And the, the problems that they have been having for many years because of their 11 people elected members board, right? So it can lead to issues, just like every model can lead to issues. I think what it is good at is that if it's run well, it's run, it is probably one of the best models out there. And I think it's, um, it is interesting that a lot of people have been saying in, in the last few weeks, well, this, this club is very profitable, that club is very profitable. There's only one club in European football that has run profits for more than 20 years every single year. And that club is Bayern Munich and they're a membership-run club, right? It's just that that money goes straight back in, into the club. And um, I think for that, it's it's a very, very good model. And I think 
It is a model that can be replicated even within Germany. Bayern's lack of competition is partly due because of the model, but it's also partly due because they're just a very well-run club. We've seen them. Um, we see them every year, Chris. You and I go to the games. We we see what sort of organization they are. A lot of people in Germany hate them, but no one will ever say that they're poorly run, right? They are just a very, very well-run club. And I think if you run your 50 plus one model like Bayern, then you're probably on a good path. To answer your final question to whether it's going to work in other leagues, it's it's difficult, right? I mean... In England, when you look at the economic history of English football teams, they were not founded like membership clubs. There was always a godfather, so to say, that would finance it, right? If, if in the early days, it was Manchester United was founded um, partly by the by the church, right? Um, I'm not 100% sure about Liverpool's origins, but I'm pretty sure there was always someone who would back it financially. And as the game became bigger and bigger, these backers became bigger and bigger. And I think that is where the root problem of, of that system is because at some point you actually, not only did you price out the fans, but you actually priced out local business as well. And the question then is like, how do you rein that in, right? You could say, well, we should maybe form membership-based organizations that can keep clubs at check in England. Whether an owner would be willingly give up a 50 plus one stake in a football team. Well, I highly doubt that. If, you, if you're the Henrys uh, in, in Liverpool and you spend a lot of money, uh, not just in players, but also in infrastructure, in an attempt, by the way, to make this club profitable, right? We have, we have to remember that too. Um, that's going to be a very hard, it's very hard to convince those people to do that. And go to Manchester, uh, where the Glaciers are in power and, you know, what is the depth of Manchester United? It's something like 150 million euros that they have put on the club. Who is going to pay for that? I mean, the entire ownership model there would have to be revamped. And I personally think there needs to be a look at how owners run the club, but whether 50 plus one would actually work there. It's not rooted in the history, right? 50 plus one is a new mechanism that was brought in to modernize the old membership-based ownership model of German football. But essentially, it's a mechanism that has been there for over 100 years. And you cannot just switch, click a switch and like hope that it's just you can just turn that in and put it, stamp it over the, the history of a club. I think that's just very difficult to do and probably impossible. Well, that should answer a few questions that we had about 50 plus one. Now, in this crazy week, which feels like it's been twice as long as any other week because so much happened, there were actually a couple of games. And this man, Jonas Hector, came up with a bit of a surprise. Jonas Hector goes again. Jonas Hector oh. at the double for Köln. Oh. What a story for the captain when his team need him most. Jonas Hector delivers in buckets. So Manu, FC Kern came up with a shock defeat of RB Leipzig in the English Fokker's early game on Tuesday. I didn't see that coming. And then, of course, we said goodbye to Schalke. I think everybody saw that coming. But what I didn't see coming was the chasing of players at one o'clock in the morning when they arrived back from Bielefeld. 
Yeah, my initial thought was that Schalke couldn't have picked a better week to go down um, because we all knew it was going to happen. And um, this was probably the week to do it because not as much attention was paid to it than usual. Um, but never underestimate the power of Schalke fans or the the power of a few idiots, uh, for lack of better terminology, because what, what we have to remember, there was a lot of things like... I saw, especially in the US, it's like turnarounds, like, oh, look what membership clubs, look what happens at membership clubs. And it's like Schalke have 200,000 members and 100 of them, less than 100 of them were badly behaved. Um, so to put this into context, and it does happen at every club. I mean, you, something like this happens at Turkey, the, the equivalent like of Galatasaray go down, there's probably entire parts of the city that go on fire afterwards, right? Football means a lot more in in certain areas of Germany or in Europe than in in some play, other places, and this is despicable um, in in a lot of ways. So I don't want to condone this in any mean or form. But what happened is absolutely despicable, and it was going to happen um, because there's a lot of bottled anger. I think with fans that they were not able to ventilate inside stadiums. So. Yeah, Schalke went down. It's happened now, um, and it was ugly. Um, don't know how ugly it would have been if it was inside the stadium. Chris, you and I remember what happened when Hamburg went down and the stadium literally caught fire. When 1860 went down from Bundesliga 2 to the first to the third division and then all the way to the fourth division is very ugly. Relegation is is ugly business. And I, I don't know. I have an answer for how you curb that because there's always going to be a few idiots that just take it a little bit too far. But I suppose we'll have to talk about how Bayern, who I don't think have been their best this season, are about to win, barring some remarkable collapse. And if this week's taught me anything, it's, you know, don't think that nothing's impossible. Um, I don't think it'll happen, though. But Bayern should win their ninth title. Um, how disappointed are you in Leipzig? And how much has that game against SC Köln typified the whole season? Yeah, it definitely showed to me that I don't think Nagelsmann is ready to take Bayern. Um, I, I just don't think he he's quite mature enough to guide a team to a big title. And I mean, we'll see if he's going to win the, the Pokal. That's a title that they're still in it. And I think that's his title to lose now. Um but yeah, it's, it's some really he I think he's done some learning this year because I think Bayern were there for the taking. Like and but at the same time, don't get me wrong, Chris. I think that Bayern are a fantastic side with with Lewandowski. They're probably still in the Champions League, um, and they had with Lewandowski one of the best, probably the best player in the world, play for them this year, and he's he's probably bailed them out um, on a few occasions. So that's the result of it and yeah Bayern are champions again you kind of want to be mad about it but then um, they also saved the rest of Europe from this grotesque Super League so maybe maybe this is the one that they actually deserve the most because of what the club has done this week and I guess we'll just have to hope that maybe someone next year actually steps up and puts up a decent fight and I think there's a good chance for that well, two clubs who have put up a decent fight and I thought may have withered a little by now, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, both picked up important wins, especially with Dortmund's defeat of Union Berlin. Um, wasn't as straightforward as it could have been. Uh, I think Dortmund 
should have been behind very early on. Within fact, in the first minute, wasn't it? Union probably should have scored. Um, but Jaden Sancho was back. How crucial is he going to be for their ideas of the champion, uh, qualifying for next season's Champions League, and of course trying to win the Pokal? Um, can you see Wolfsburg or Frankfurt bottling it between now and the end of the season? Because I, I don't. I thought it would have been this match day if it was going to happen with last weekend's results. I thought the midweek games would stretch them and they bounced straight back. Dortmund got to win that game against Wolfsburg. That's that's the bottom line, right? That will that will bring him into two points and I think then anything can happen over the last three games. It's, it would be them wide open. I can't see... I can't see them catch Frankfurt because they can't, it's not in their hands, right? It's not in their hands to take some points off them. So Wolfsburg will have to be and Wolfsburg have been very good. And um, yeah, the result for Dortmund against Union Berlin was a good one. Jaden Sancho is back, which is fantastic for them. But Chris, they're going to be without Mats Hummels against Wolfsburg and Wolfsburg have Wood Weghorst. That's going to be very difficult, right? Yeah, he's been in super form all season. Um, despite his views on the coronavirus and vaccines, he's still been um, a top-notch player. Um, down the other end, it's increasingly tight. Mainz with a big win over Werder Bremen. Um, my first question to you would be on them. How have they found themselves in this position again? Um, Armenia Bielefeld looking good. Hertha Berlin obviously in quarantine now seeing their fixture list, it's thick and fast. Can Hertha get out of it? Can Kern get out of it? And what happens to Werder Bremen? That's, um, I see five X's, red X's next to Werder Bremen's name. That's um, not a good trend. Trend is not their friend. And yeah, I, I, I think they need to be very worried. I think Kern picking up those three points wasn't really expected, right? Jonas Hector getting the job done for them and really giving them a lifeline. We now know Schalke are gone. Hertha, that's a brutal schedule. It's a game every three days um, to make up for the for the for the the quarantine. It's going to be very difficult for them. Although I think they probably have the best squad and they are also rested uh, for two weeks, so maybe they can still do it. Bielefeld. Bielefeld have surprised a lot of people this year, and I I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule them out at all. Uh, Werder, I think Werder is probably the side that has to worry the most because once you start losing, Chris, you know how it goes. Once you start losing, it's so hard to get out of it. And there's just now four games left. So we could see we could see one of the very big teams. Well, we know Schalke are going down. Kölner are in danger. Hertha are in danger. Werder are in danger. Uh, I, 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 would, I think one of those three are going to go down. And it's looking increasingly likely, unless there's um, a massive turn of events in the second league, that Hamburg will take that third place playoff slot. Who do you think they'll be looking at and thinking we can take them? Because I think Hertha Berlin, as it stands, might be too strong for them. Would you fancy them against Armenia? Or would you fancy them against Werder and maybe even Kern? We want Hamburg Werder, don't don't we? Not Derby in, in the relegation. Wow, I mean that that would be uh, one can get the other relegated or keep the other in Bundesliga too. I think that's that's the kind of stuff that you want in in, in a fixture like this, and um, it would be kind of fitting because Werder and Hamburg have that history, right, where they faced each other. 
I think it was in 2008, 2009, they faced each other uh, over the span of, uh, of a few days. They sp faced each other four times, once in the DFB Pokal semifinal, once in the UEFA Cup semifinal, and then also in the league. And um, it was it was a bad ending for Hamburg because they, they went out of all of those competitions and um, lost the game in the league, which meant that their title hopes at the time were gone. So um, there is that kind of history um, in, in in very big games between those two sides, and uh, I think I would love to see it. I think it'd be it it'd be the kind of drama that we want to see at the end of the season. Well, that should pretty much wrap up this midweek special where we've covered the English Vodka and, of course, the Super League fallout. We will be back on Sunday, Stroke Monday, but we do have a very special guest. So from me and from Manu, we'll see you soon. Auf Wiedersehen. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.